0: the story on my journey starts at the age of 10 and my inspiration had been uh, Captain Planet and you know you may the moment I say Captain Planet you may get this tune Captain Planet he's a hero cutting pollution down to zero so that was this me at the 10 um, at age 10 and I got this idea to save the environment
1: Why do you think most, you know, I think it's about 80% of startups fail? They don't create value.
2: They, they forget about why they're building the product. I mean, you get entangled in what you're doing and you forget about, you know, the core value that you're giving to somebody which has to generate some revenue for you. You take your eyes off that and you get so caught up in saying in your own, uh, you know, you drink your own Kool-Aid and then you think, hey, I'll build this and this will become the next Facebook. But you have not validated it. Without validation, your products fail. I mean, ideally, you shouldn't write a line of code without having a customer.
3: And then when I ate a macaroon, I fell in love with it. My father loved it. And I said, if my father loves it, that means that, you know, the average Indian customer would love it because my father is so fussy. And uh, yeah, so then I just, you know, came back and started doing some research and really wanted to bring like a piece of Paris back to Mumbai and see um, how can I create that authentic French patisserie experience, but you know, where India meets France. And just, I started, Experimenting for my home
1: kitchen for three months. Hello, everyone. Neil Vitalia, thank you for downloading the latest episode of the Indians Talk Show. So, today you will hear some of the best bits of the past four years. And today, you will hear from the recycled man of India, aka Dr. Binish Desai. He's the Forbes 30 under 30 Asia social entrepreneur and founder of Eco Electric. He talks about creating environmentally friendly solutions to various problems. Inspiring stuff. Next up is Christian. Now, he's the CEO of Geek Trust. He talks about creating an online platform that connects talented developers with great opportunities. And finally, I speak to the amazing Pooja Dingra, the celebrity chef, entrepreneur and founder of Le 15 Patisserie. We talk about how she learned everything from scratch, the challenges she had to overcome, building a brand and her love of chocolate and much, much more. So please enjoy the show. Thank you. Hello, Binesh. Thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Uh, Great. Thanks. Uh, Please tell the listeners uh, what you're building.
0: So basically, I uh, I run a social entrepreneurship yeah. uh, and I convert waste into eco-innovations. So I, I build toilets and houses out of waste.
1: Excellent. Okay. And how did you come up with the idea?
0: So uh, the, the story on my journey starts at the age of 10 and my inspiration had been, uh, Captain Planet. And, you know, you may, the moment I say Captain Planet, you may get this tune. Captain Planet, he's a hero, sure. cutting pollution down to zero. So that was this, me at the 10, um, at age 10. And I got this idea to save the environment. Uh, and, um, that's how I started inventing things. Uh, and the journey of making bricks started, um, during the same time at age 11 uh, when a chewing gum got stuck on my pants and i tried removing it with a piece of paper so this was me in the school uh, and i try i i noticed that it had hardened up so I went back home did the same experiment again uh, and I made something that didn't look like a brick it looked more like a roti Uh, and that was the first brick and uh, if you uh, ever get a chance to see the first picture it was actually pink and the funny story behind it is that one of the ingredients that I added uh, while I was experimenting was actually a pink talcum powder so that's (laughs) where the color came from Uh, so I was that crazy scientist kind of dude uh, who was uh, uh, experimenting with all these things at the age of 11 mm-hmm. uh, but then um, I realized and I learned about the word slums in schools mm-hmm. uh, and I I thought to myself that one day I'll make uh, something for to help them mm-hmm. uh, and I started working on what to do so I would play with lego bricks uh, and that's how I got the idea that I could make bigger lego bricks to make low-cost houses for uh, those people mm-hmm. um, who are in need uh, in slums. Uh, so that's how it all started and then I started experimenting and that's how that material that I had made actually uh, became brick uh, and at the age of 16 uh, I founded my first company back in 2010. Mm-hmm to make low cost houses um, and then um, I venture into uh, making uh, toilets as well Mm -hmm. and today I run Eco Eclectic Technologies which is is a lab where we make more than 150 products uh, all out of waste.
1: Excellent. Amazing stuff. So you started quite young then. Um, Was credibility an issue? We'll
0: absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, uh, people are coming from a small town, Will say, uh, people quite often, it was a taboo of someone working, uh, you know, apart from what the general norms were, uh, and also working with waste or making toilets. So got a lot of, um, you know, uh, social, um, negativity that was, uh, surrounding it. Oh, you have gone crazy. Why are you doing into this? And all these things. So, but that, that acted as a fuel for me to keep myself doing what I believed in. Uh, so that was one point of it, uh, on the acceptability part of, uh, whether, uh, people, uh, liked my product or not. Well, uh, the first thing that came in mind was, oh, it was made out of face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, the, so I, I started, um, I I made my own uh, benchmarks Mm. uh, to prove people that how strong this was, because if I showed them how, uh, what compressive strength was, Mm. people wouldn't understand and still not believe what I was trying to say. So what I did was, is I call it as a layman's test. Mm. Um, So anywhere I go, I take, Two bricks. One is the regular brick, which everyone is aware of, and one is my brick. And I just tell them to throw as fast as as high as you can. Mm. Whatever you want to do, drive a car over it, put it, in, immerse it in water, and see for yourself the difference. And uh, that's how uh, people started understanding. You know mm. that um, these bricks are three times stronger than a normal brick. Mm. They're twice the size and they are half the price. Mm. So that's how the acceptability started coming. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but then I also started making toilets and I want to share a very funny story. So, yeah. um, um, we were constructing toilet in this uh, village. Uh, and that is when I realized something was this, that this guy comes, uh, and he very innocently questions me. He's like, uh, ki Which literally meant can you put uh, grass instead of tiles in this uh, toilet? So I, I got puzzled and I also got annoyed that the moment I heard him say this, I said, Why did he say so? And he said, Uh, which meant that till he does not feel the grass he cannot take a he cannot poop so that is the day when I realized that um, India just needs a soch along with the sochale you know thought before they even start uh, having not only toilets, but they need also a change of thoughts. And these are the things that I uh, realized while working with these villages. And we have always believed in customizing solutions uh, for, um, you know, um, empowering villages. Uh, Recently, back in 2016, um, I started Ecolite Studio. um, so i noticed that these women uh, whom we were uh, meeting and empowering uh, in, uh, making toilets uh, basically didn't have uh, enough wages to run and have a, a independent life especially the widows mm. um, who were there in the villages so uh, we thought of you know giving them uh, a source of employment so we started a micro social enterprise called ecolite studio um where we basically uh, make lamps, uh, clocks, and everything out of uh, different types of waste. Mm-hmm. So um, these are luxury products. All these are handmade lights. Uh, these are patented technologies made entirely out of waste. Yes.
1: So, what, what, what's your favorite product then?
0: Uh, my favorite product is the recent one, which is Eco Watches. So we are making uh, one of a kind. Um, watch a hmm. uh, wristwatch made entirely out of age. So we are very excited about that. Uh, and in the terms of the invention part in uh, eco eclectic technologies, uh, we have recently started working and inside are in uh, finalization stages of the prototype uh, of a prosthetic foot mm-hmm. uh, that is made out of face. But the the good part is, is that it is going to cost less than $10. Mm-hmm. So um, that is going to help a lot of people, um, especially, those uh, in need of uh, you know, prosthetic foot um, so very excited about those two things
1: so so, so when you see landfill and waste then, do, do, do you get depressed or
0: do you get excited <laughs> um, the moment I see a landfill I first get depressed and I say oh well you know this is a task, so that's that's like a gold mine. I get excited after knowing what are the things in there, but mm. before that is just a scary situation, the moment you see it because they are they are mountains and mountains of our waste. So, mm. is, it, is it getting worse than in India or is it getting better? Oh, absolutely. 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 Mm. Uh, India is growing with <clears throat> the same th- time. We are consuming more and more complex materials mm. thus resulting in generation of waste. So absolutely it's the problem is increasing and uh, we should start taking it seriously now. So. Excellent. Okay, cool. Uh, so you started at 16
1: and last year you were uh, nominated or you actually won the award for Oh you actually was one of the 30 under 30 social entrepreneurship in Forbes. Yes. So congratulations yes. on that. Uh what what Thank was that,
0: you. Uh, what was that like when you got got that award? Well, I always dreamt of uh, making it to a Forbes list, but it was when I turned twenty eight and i mm-hmm. it was just one of the you know dream lists, so all of a sudden me uh, getting this email that I was um uh, you know mm-hmm. I made it to the list was uh, an overwhelming situation but um it, it was it was quite an amazing feeling to be um on the list in asia uh, so very very much um, like i don't have words to describe how great it feeling was and that that did motivate me more to you know um, and uh, encourage more people that someone who started at the age of uh Eleven uh, to become, uh, you know, social entrepreneur um, and could make it to the Forbes list. So uh, it is more encouraging for people to actually get into this field of waste recycling. yeah,
1: what, what, uh, and- what, yeah what, what, what kept me going then in the early days?
0: the only thing that kept me going was that I wanted to help the people and I believed in what I had invented uh, a lot of times I failed so it was always never um, um, you know straight graph towards success uh, back in 2015 I was cheated by one of uh, my partners um, who tried to overturn the entire mm. uh, company and try to take away the patents and all um, I suffered I lost everything that I had ever earned at that time, mm. uh, and that did teach me something. Was is that I was uh, more of a social entrepreneur than anything else, uh, and I uh, I kept myself saying that you know, um, no one can every everything else can be taken away, but no one can take away the knowledge and my uh, passion towards helping and doing what I believe in and that's how eco eclectic technologies uh was founded and it became what it is today. So And you mentioned yeah.
1: you mentioned houses before. I mean how how's that going? Yeah
0: houses are going great now we are making houses even in philippines uh, we are helping uh create uh um you know drug rehab centers uh so basically they are they are uh, post drug rehab centers so people coming out from drug rehabs do not have a place to live in um so this is a way of them getting not only a house but they can construct their own houses or now uh instead of making uh you know fixed um uh, Paka houses. Now we are making portable houses as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are now moving into um, tiny house movements with making compact houses, um, which can be shipped all across the world. Uh, so these are, these are some of the things And very excited to tell that we are also moving towards um, 3d printing mm-hmm. of the houses. So uh, we have developed a material uh, from the same materials, how bricks are made, but uh, with a different uh Consistency that can be used in huge 3D printers for future to be actually mm-hmm. uh, print 3D houses uh, in near future. Mm-hmm. So very excited about the house side of it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Sounds sounds exciting. Um, I mean, looking ahead, sort of in the future, you know, what would you say is the biggest challenge?
0: The biggest challenge uh, right now uh, when we face is the people's seriousness about um, understanding the waste. um, We talk always a lot about, you know, um, plastic waste, e-waste, but a lot, uh, very much less is said about the industrial waste, which is also a huge issue. Um, And industry is growing uh, need to start making themselves greener and more responsible towards their affluence, towards their waste. Um, the, the biggest challenge right now to me is making sure the landfills don't get uh, filled as at the rate of what they're getting filled right now and more and more people start entering this um, and uh, um, uh, process and try reducing that waste because it's it's lesser talk uh, about. you know um, industrial waste is very less talk about, but it's a, a huge issue altogether. Okay. So I feel that's one of the challenges people's awareness and people's understanding about uh, waste recycling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really does not stop once you segregate your waste. It also has to do with how you get rid of it completely.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so, so yeah. yeah you mentioned social entrepreneurship. Um, you know what advice would you give to like first time social entrepreneurship founders? I, I, I tell them
0: to always put so for any entrepreneurs, uh, I tell them to always work on triple bottom line, which means keeping uh, social impact. Keeping in mind the social impact, uh, keeping in mind the environment impact and and making sure that it is sustainable in terms of profits. So if all these three circles work together, the middle part of a Venn diagram would be actually sustainability. Mm -hmm. So for you to always work sustainably, always do that. And for first time, people who are trying to understand the concept of innovating something, always say them, observe, observe a problem learn about that problem, fail, uh, and then learn about how to be uh, a solution to that problem. So three things, observe, learn, and fail uh, are the main three pillars that they need to maintain in order to understand the uh, the subject entirely. Mm. Anything you say. See if you are succeeding directly, and if you are, you know, it's it's a straight graph to the to the top. Then you should be prepared of what would happen if something goes wrong. You know, uh, that's what failures have helped me uh, understand that mm. even at the lowest of point, you should know what would happen and what what are the worst case scenarios. You
1: know? You've had an amazing journey so far. Have you had any help, any mentorship?
0: uh i always um, re- uh so there have been uh, always help from uh, my grandfather uh, in terms of supporting me morally uh, when no one supported uh my um, principal school principal who was always there, you know what um, i do not understand what you're trying to do but at least i'll make sure that i'm uh, be supportive and i'll not um, I'll not let any negativity harm you. So all these protectors have always helped me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My host mother, who, as I was an exchange student back in 2009, before I started my company, Mm -hmm. I was in the United States for a year uh, through Rotary. Uh, And my host mother, she always told me, and she was the one who pursued me to actually pursue this as a career, Mm -hmm. saying, you uh, you have a great idea. You had a great vision. You should actually pursue this as your mm-hmm. full time career, and um, you know, go ahead with uh, following your dreams. So these people have always been a of great help uh, to me. Yes. Yeah. What well, was there like a specific moment that you think that this was going to work? The the moment when I first had uh, a proper prototype of the brick in my hand is the day I realized that I have finally been able to. Crack this up and the the day uh, when I started my company, um, I had faced a lot of criticism in terms of not doing what I was supposed to do um, as a like I was supposed to become a doctor uh, <laughs> okay. and go into the medical field as usual. Uh, so I, I didn't go towards that field and I went against all odds and I started my company. So um, th- those first 3000 bricks I made, I didn't have any money, no support from the family. So um, I started uh, that. And the, those first 3000 bricks every day I made it, um, were, and once I saw the first prototype mm-hmm. house, uh, and I clicked the first picture is the day I realized that, um, you know, mm-hmm. um, this is, this is going to work, um, perfectly fine. So that's why. I even wrote a letter to Dr. APJ Abdul Kalam, and he responded me back and invited me to present it to him, Mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, one of the most amazing moments for me. Mm -hmm. So for those people who listen outside the India, he he was
1: a former prime minister, right? President. President, okay, yeah, okay, cool. Um, what, What was his feedback?
0: Well, um, yeah, I, I just basically, because he, he was a scientist, um, uh, and, um, I basically presented it to him stating that I just wanted to present this to you about an idea and a vision that I have about, uh, India and how I can help. And he said, uh, you have a great idea. How about you present it to 3000 innovators at an event? And I participated in that event and I got to present for the first time on a stage, um, about my idea, and that's how I received my uh, you know platform to uh, start my company. So that's from where I started generating orders, and mm. uh, the rest is the history. So, so, so what
1: was it like when you first uh, built your first toilet? Then
0: my first toilet was very special because um, this was even before Swachh Bharat uh, no, clean India, mm-hmm. clean India mission started. Um, and I got this request from uh someone working at my um factory uh, at that time where we were to- making houses. Was this uh, sir? I wanted um to have a toilet. Uh, could you make this for me? Uh, and I went there and it was something very special and very amazing. So it was it was it was quite an amazing journey. And that is when we realized that we could make toilets which were not only. Um, So, government provides subsidies on the toilets and we were able to make it even cheaper than what the subsidies were. So, that helped translate and make a lot of toilets um, for these uh, um, people in the rural villages.
1: So, what's next then? You made toilets, houses, lamps? We make
0: <laughs> we make we make roads we make uh, uh you know absorbents uh, that absorb crude oil uh, we make soundproofing panels artificial wood uh, we you convert different types of waste such as human hair into furniture for the same salon you know mm. so um we we believe in circular economy and all these 150 products um are um, just all out of waste. We are coming up with world's first vitrified tiles uh, made entirely out of waste. So all these things are all patented uh, technologies. Uh, I have 19 patents. And um, this is this is something, uh, my work is something that's very close to my heart and I enjoy going to work every day. So, yeah,
1: so you see, you're very yeah. successful. I mean, what, what, what kind of habits has helped you become successful?
0: Uh, well, I, I give credits to, um, uh, everyone and everything that has come, may it be the obstacles, may it be the friends, families, um, even the people who were, uh, been know negative to me because that engaged. the people in the villages were the ones who actually, uh, made me feel special by when I would do something for them. Uh, it was quite appreciated. The works were always appreciated. Uh, and, uh. All these, all these things have made me more special than the awards and everything that I have won all these years. So,
1: last last few questions then. Uh, I mean, do you have any hobbies and interests? You you must be really busy, but any time you sort of
0: relax. I love traveling. I love traveling, and I love reading books. Um, So, I travel a lot. I just recently got married, uh, and um, I, I I do, uh, I do like swimming. Um, I go around. Um, but my biggest hobby is traveling. Yeah. So I travel quite often and it's fun. Yeah.
1: What well, routes? Well, well, could you give any recommendations for people listening?
0: Go to Greece. Um, mm-hmm. Greece is an amazing place. Uh, I'm a huge foodie, so always recommending um, Greek food. Uh, that's on top of my list. Uh, and Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, two places uh, completely not the same, but there's something uh, really good and I would recommend highly recommend people going there. Okay. And you mentioned books and any blogs or books you want to recommend to our listeners? I am a huge Dan Brown fan, so always reading the Dan Brown books Origins, um, The Lost Symbol. I'm I'm not a um, you know a huge um, I'm more into the mysterious uh, non-fiction for uh, Indian readers. Uh, David Patnaik books are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you, have, do you have any like heroes,
1: people that inspire you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. um Dr. Neil Gupta, who is an IIM professor uh, and is a great innovator, is someone who uh, really inspires me uh, to keep doing because he has always dedicated his life towards innovations and um uh, He's one of my role models. Uh, Yeah. And talking about books. Well, uh, I'm very glad to inform that uh, a book is being written on my name uh, about me, Mm -hmm. um, about on uh, by Dr. Nikhil Chandanwani. He's a very famous uh, author uh, and the book is called The Recycle Man Mm -hmm. because I'm famously known as the Recycle Man of India. So yeah, so the book is coming soon. uh, How how does that
1: feel then? Someone's writing a book about you.
0: So I don't have words to uh, uh wanna describe how it feels at the age of 25 to have a book written about me, but well, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 um, it's indescribable feeling, but I'm very glad that, um, my journey has been interesting enough. Uh, and there are, there are a lot of stories, uh, untold stories, uh, the, about the hardships and everything, um, especially for a uh, new start, um, you know, entrepreneurs, mm to go about reading the book because the book evolves about uh, how this 10 year old came up to become the recycle man. And it also shares the the second part of the book. Uh, the book is in two parts. The, the first half is the entire journey and stories and mm-hmm. uh, what made me who I am today. But the second part also talks about my vision of how I see world in India mm-hmm. in, in regards to the waste side of it. Um, the next uh, no five years, so, so, so very
1: excited about that book. Yeah. so so they made a book what,
0: movies next, surely absolutely, absolutely looking um I can't I'm, i am I'm a dreamer, so I always dream that that would be soon possible. I'll be the first one to tell you, so definitely <laughs> who, who, <laughs> you. Who, yeah. who who would play you then? Can we give me some names? No idea. I no idea. I would. I would love Ranbir Kapoor to uh, play it. And yeah, let's see. (laughs) If ever a movie gets made, yeah, let's see.
1: Hello, Christian. Thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Please tell the listeners what you're building.
2: So, I'm building uh, an online platform for developers to find their dream opportunity, mm-hmm. to fulfill their true potential. Development is a craft and an art, and we find opportunities for such developers to build, you know, high-end technology products. How did you get started? So, I worked at this company called ThoughtWorks for about ten years. I left ThoughtWorks in a technology role, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm based out of Bangalore. And in Bangalore, there's there's a, there's a something in the air about Bangalore about starting up and all of that. Mm-hmm. So just felt that I wanted to be part of the scene. There's a lot of things, interesting work happening. So I just took the plunge, took the risk and said, hey, let me do something on my own and see where it goes. Excellent, and how are things going? Can you share some stats? Sure, so it's been about three years since we started uh, we have about 25 26000 developers who look for their job through geek trust today uh, pretty much every day and a developer gets a job through geek trust uh, for the last six months whatever every day an offer goes out to a developer through geek trust so things are all right not uh, not too bad and is that what you expected when you first started three years ago yeah you know i knew that this was the the recruitment space is not a space that's easily winnable it's a long game so i'm in it for the long haul uh, there's no platform in the world today that a developer goes to and says hey i know i will find a great job through this platform so i want to be that platform mm-hmm. okay. and yeah it'll take me five years is what i imagine mm-hmm. how, how do you deal with the
1: recruitment companies
2: yeah i, I mean speaking of the bangalore and india space my uh, i don't think there's any online platform that's competing too much with us it's mostly in the sense that there's nobody that big today mm-hmm. mostly recruitment consultants are our competitors and they tend to work with often now Cree, mostly so that's pretty much our competition, but it's been the same for 10 years. So people are looking for a change. Every week I get about three to five companies writing into me saying that, please help me find some good tech talent.
1: Okay, excellent, okay. And uh, going back to the early days, um, you know, what roadblocks did you have? Uh, of what challenges
2: do you have to overcome? See, I think when you start up, right, it's it's fundamentally a question of confidence. And, you know, there are a lot of people like me, entrepreneurs who are first-generation entrepreneurs. My parents were government employees, you know, my brother works at an IT firm. So it's really hard to you know uh, you need to find out things on your own so the initial blocks were then what you do is you start reading up and seeing what everybody else is doing and then you know you go through the whole rigmarole of you know should i raise funding should i how much many people should i hire should i when I, when you're a b2b to c b2b to b2c platform like me when you think about okay should i go after my clients first or should i get my candidates in first So a lot of confusion exists. So that's, that was, you know, a big thing for me. And I finally, you know, I just relied on my own judgment to figure out what works. I was not listening to what's happening in the market. Just what made logical sense, man. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. Did it help you that you worked at ThoughtWorks? Oh, absolutely! I think that is what has helped me run this business. So every time I go to a company or a company writes into me, the credibility of having worked ten years at ThoughtWorks as a technologist helps you, puts you, you know, above everybody else that they work with. So lots of doors have opened. We have credibility on both sides of our platform, for, from a company's perspective as well as from a candidate's perspective. Definitely. So that's, that's what I say. You know, if you're looking to start up, right? Don't burn bridges with your earlier company. Always go out on a good note with, from wherever you are. All those networks come into play. Your network is what helps you the most. And how long
1: did it take you to get your first customer? Uh,
2: interestingly enough, it wasn't hard to find a first customer. Again, because of the connect that I had from my previous employer. Uh, you know, totos is a place where a lot of people leave and start up on their own. So I just started reaching out to them initially. Within a week, I think I had my first customer signed up. How, how did that feel? Oh, it was great. I mean... You know, when I started up, I was thinking, you know, who would pay me money to do anything for them, right? And then so getting the first paycheck from a company, getting something going was a real boost of confidence. And, you know, more than building your product, more than building, you know, your marketing plan and all of that, actually getting the cash flow going to figuring out how you can give value and other people will pay for that value is super important. Mm -hmm. It's not talked about much in the media or, you know, all these articles you see. Mm -hmm. But figure out your core value, get somebody to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Super important. What do you think people don't talk about? it in the media uh, in general, there is uh, so much uh, news about funding and that's what people tend to cover. So if you want to understand the real nitty gritties about, you know, uh, how what does it actually take to run a startup? I mean, out of 100 people starting up, maybe one raises funds mm. and out of out of that one, they may not even be raising enough funds to for media to cover it. Mm. So then, you know, what you do is you need to find out other sources where people who have been there, done that come and talk like your show, for example, right? where people, uh, the actual practitioners of uh, people who have run startups come and talk. I don't take advice from people who have not been there. I mean, I do take advice, I don't listen to it. Always take advice from people who have been there, done that in the startup space, you
1: know. Mm-hmm. What were the thoughts of your uh, employee, uh, the ThoughtWorks employees when you told them you want to quit and do your own uh, startup? You know, mo- mostly it was encouraging. I think, you know, at, at every point, you know, I spent
2: 10 years that, I mean, how much longer was I going to stay there, right? So, uh, I think mostly it was encouraging, people were uh, telling me, you know, great move and, you know, just help, fee- help me give that confidence that, hey, Krishnan, you know, you can do this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. I mean, there was some, of course, there will always be somebody saying, hey, why don't you just continue, you know, you're doing great here. But I just felt that this was the right time to move. And Bangalore as an industry also, you know, is very supportive of this. I go to a coffee shop today, anywhere in Bangalore, are mm-hmm. at least five other startups there. So (laughs) that's the scene here right now. Lots of opportunities for you then. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of opportunities. In fact, I remember the story, you know, when I I just started up, I was sitting at this coffee shop in Bangalore, in the heart of Bangalore, and I can see a lady talking to four very young folks Mm. and then they leave, right? And then she starts looking around at other tables and saying, hey, what are you doing there? (laughs) Yeah. So it's essentially there are investor scouts, there is this, uh, you know, there is this overall There is this culture of, you know, go on, leave your job and try something else and all of that. And then, you know, what I feel is Indian tech industry, we've been around for the last 20 years. We're a $150 billion industry. But it's time to move on from the outsourcing industry. It's time to build products for the world from India. It's time to build some really kick-ass products. It's not just about, you know, copying an Amazon or copying a Facebook. It's about building really products for the future from here. And that time is now, we have to do this now. We are, we are best equipped to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's been three, three years now. Um, is, is it pressure on or pressure off now? You know, you know what you're doing now, you're making revenue, you've got clients, et cetera, et cetera. No, I think
2: it's always pressure on. I don't think there's a time of pressure off. Now the pressure is to how do we scale this up more, right? If I'm giving out, you know, if 30 offers are going out to in a month, how can I make that in a hundred in, in the shortest time possible? Because we need to keep growing at a pace which allows us to sort of, you know, become the the de facto place people go to, to find the next job. And mm-hmm. for that pressure is always on, man. There's no, <laughs> there's no off. What what, what what would success look like then in, in, in your opinion? For success for me success for me is success for our uh, for our uh, stakeholders so which is essentially we have two stakeholders one is the developers and other other companies so you go to any company in india or in Bangalore today and say do you find it easy to hire and the answer is no So for me, success is for them being able to say, yes, when I use GeekTrust for my technical hiring, I'm able to find talent. And that is happening today. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, for my other stakeholder, for the developers to say that, you know, I don't use a, today there is no platform that developers go to. I want them to be able to say, you know, I'm a techie, I'm a developer, I love writing code, I will find my next job through GeekTrust, I just know that. Mm -hmm. So that is what success looks like to me.
1: Cool. And in terms of marketing strategies, um, you know, what, what have you tried, what's worked, what's not worked in the last three years? Uh, So, we use (laughs) what's really worked as content,
2: right? Writing from the heart, writing things which matter, and sharing without expecting anything in return, right? That always helps. Whenever I write stuff about, you know, things I've learned, or whenever one of the developers at Geekters write about how we have implemented something, we always see a surge in, you know, people using our platform. So what's worked for me in general with marketing is writing content that is true and it's not just uh, clickbaity or it's not just about very extremely superficial stuff. Writing about stuff that you feel you care deeply about, somehow when you do that, right, you are able to connect with your audience. And uh, we use all the typical marketing channels to, you know, the digital channels to, to spread the word about deep trust. I always, the thing about marketing I've learned is you can spend a ton of money on marketing and not know what's worked. So we always circle back with people who are high, you know, sort of power users with us and ask them, how do you hear about us? And even today, about 45% say they heard of us through word of mouth. So, you know, giving somebody a great experience is the best marketing you can do.
1: Cool. And you mentioned learning. Uh, What have you learned uh, during your three years of startup life? Oh, that would take the rest of the day, Neil. So,
2: you know, know, uh, working in software for 10 years, you think, you know, a lot of things, right? But end of the day, I realized that the only thing I knew was how to build software, right? I didn't even know how to build software for, uh, for, build software that people would use. You know, you're always, we're you, always building stuff, but you never stop to think about how will my users respond to it. Mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of the Indian IT industry. We build stuff for our Western clients. We don't see these clients, right? We don't see our end users. So we don't know how it is to build a software for them. So I think the biggest thing I've learned in the last four years is one, uh, how to build products that people will use, mm-hmm. right? And to be honest, how to, how not to do that is what I learned first. <laughs> so that is one primary thing. Uh, Second thing I've learned is, you know, uh, I used to get swayed by advice a lot. Like, you should, Krishna, you should try this, you should try that. And I realized that, you know, uh, not everybody starts up. Right? And not every startup is successful. Mm. So there is no real formula for this. So you have to go with your own intuition. You have to go with your own judgment of what is right and what is wrong. It might look really bad, might look really wrong for everybody else. Mm. But if you feel that's the right thing to do, then you should just go ahead and do it. Because that's how great companies are
1: built. Nobody built a great company with con- by consensus, right? Mm. You mentioned startup failure. W- w- you know, wh- why do you think most, you know, I think it's about 80% of startups fail? What's, what's the main reason you think? in your opinion because they don't create value mm. they they forget
2: about why they're building the product I mean you get entangled in what you're doing and you forget about you know the core value that you're giving to somebody which has to generate some revenue for you you take your eyes off that and you get so caught up in saying in your own uh, you know you drink your own Kool-Aid and then you think hey I'll build this and this will become the next Facebook but you have not validated it mm. without validation your products fail I mean I, ideally you shouldn't write a line of code without having a customer right you're at least one person who say, hey, I love this. I will do this. And then you do it somehow. You you know, you, you talk about Jugat, This is where Jugat should kick in. Mm. You, get value, you give value, get money, get revenue out of it, prove that the concept works. People will tell you. You talk to people and say, I'll do this. Will you give money for it? A hundred people will tell you yes. But actually getting them to sign the check mm. is a different deal altogether. Right, that's why startups fail. They don't focus on the core value and make sure that they can make money off it. They're just caught up in the other paraphernalia, which is, you know, more glamorous, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Very glamorous, yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about hiring then. Um, obviously, you're, you're the expert. Um, can you give our listeners some hiring tips? Um, obviously, use your platform, but anything else? Yeah, I think uh,
2: if you're, I mean, I can speak about hiring for technologists. Yeah. If you're hiring for technologists uh the time has passed when you should look at where this technology studied or you know whether they went to an iit or whether they're working at a product company a developer can showcase that talent to you with code so it's time we moved away from resumes and if you're looking to hire great tech talent try and find out if they can write code that's the only thing that matters of course the culture check and you know their attitude and all absolutely kicks in but if you can stop Looking at candidates from a point of view of resumes, I guarantee you'll be able to hire people, and we've been able to do that for some of our many of our clients. Excellent. Okay. And how do you find find your first employees? So very, I was super lucky. I mean, I've been in this industry for the last thirteen years, ten years at ThoughtWorks. So pretty much everybody at at Geek trust is somebody I've known for the last seven, eight, sometimes even ten years. My the one of my co-founders. Uh, He and I were roommates when we started our careers back in 2003. Mm -hmm. We have kept in touch. We've been friends. And when the time came, you know, we just started up on our own. My other co-founder, she and I worked together for about seven years at ThoughtWorks. The two other principal engineers that work at Trust, I've known them for 10 plus years. So it's just your own network that builds stuff of you. So that is really my, my leverage. That is what I have, you know, a core team who we have known each other for like
1: a decade or so. We just focused on solving a hard problem so for startups listening do, do they go for all-rounders or people with specific skills then, in, your, in your in your in your opinion uh, they should do more both uh, have more all-rounders and a
2: few specialists uh, yeah you never know what will change right so if you end up hiring a lot of specialists and suddenly you decide to do something in which you don't have somebody for then you need to hire again right and what are you going to do with that specialist you just hired so as much as possible get get people who are willing to learn who can be generalists and when you need it, you need somebody specific for a front-end skill of a machine learning then hire. But till then, you're a good, you know, all-rounder, like you said, will, should be able to run your, to make things work for you.
1: And you mentioned culture before, I mean, um, how's the culture been at Geek Trust for the last three years? How, how's it changed? Or has it changed? So I, I don't think it's changed. We're still a pretty small team. We're a team of 10
2: today. And when I started, obviously it was just me uh but for us culture hasn't changed much it's always been a super friendly atmosphere where we're looking to make an impact so all of us here at geek trust because we believe we can do something that will create an impact mm-hmm. and interestingly enough that's what we're trying to do with geek trust as well build a platform that people who feel that they can make a bigger impact in the world can come on and find companies that are matched to them mm-hmm. so culturally not a lot has changed uh but culture is super critical for all startups as you build and culture is very simple culture is for me, at least, the culture is what the leadership says and speaks. Right? It is not about what you have on your uh, walls or whether you have a foosball table in office or whether you're giving uh, chocolates or snacks. Nobody cares. End of the day, culture is what leadership says and what, what
1: leadership does. So you started this on your own. Um, how, how's your management style changed then? Uh, I think, you know,
2: I'm, I'm extremely comfortable doing things on my own. Uh, I'm, I need to... My management style has changed in a manner that I've sort of learned to let go. You know, that's really, really hard to do. You want to have a say in everything. It's your baby, it's your product, it's your sales, it's your marketing. But at some point, you know, you realize that the people who are with you for them also it's their baby, it's their product, it's their marketing. So you need to let go. That's what I've I've learned. Looking back, would you like change anything then? Uh Uh, I can't think of anything uh, that I would have changed right now, but I'm sure I've made a ton of mistakes. Yeah, actually, yes. I think one thing I would have changed is I should have been following the data that uh, GeekTras was generating earlier. Uh, I made a lot of decisions based on, uh, you know, just what I thought was right. Mm. But at some point, right, you need to balance that with actual data of what you see. If I want to say, I want to build a feature X, I need to have some proof that it Feature X adds to value, which I was not doing for the for the first couple of years. It's only in the last one year that we've become much more data focused. So any startup out there looking to build stuff, make sure that you're capturing data, make sure that your data gives you intelligence you can use. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you're, you're based in Bangalore. You know what, what is the tech scene like in Bangalore now? Is, is it still booming or is it slowing down?
2: It's absolutely booming. It is absolutely booming. The the trend I see is it may not be the large, like you may not, your Infosys, TCS of the world, uh, are not the employers of choice anymore. And they've done a great job over the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, people want to build more products for themselves and all of that. And a lot of companies are out there. The hard part is in the, you know, seven, eight years ago, there were probably 10 companies you could choose from which were the top 10 in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. Today, there are probably 300 of them, mm-hmm. right, which are as good as the other and all doing great work mm-hmm. and and yeah, I'm, I'm making a plug here, but that's what we are trying to do. We're trying to make sure that you as a developer can find these really curated, interesting opportunities that you would not have heard of otherwise. Mm-hmm. So a lot of great work happening here, Neil, a lot of fantastic work. I mean, you can just feel it in the air here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, and do you have like favorite startups in, in, in or Bangalore? Oh, know, I, yeah. I, I can't do that. I would say all, all, all the <laughs> companies that I work with are my favorites. I mean, they're all. They wouldn't be on platform on the platform. If we didn't like them. So one of us, either me or my co-founders Neha, we go and meet almost every startup that applies to us. Mm-hmm. We make sure that we feel that this is a good place to work at. You know, they're doing interesting work, and then we onboard them. So they're all my favorites. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing this for three years. Um, what, what, what would this business look like in say ten years' time then? Ten years' time. Uh, We'll be geographically across the world. Any developer, say in San Francisco, Berlin, Tokyo, would use GeekTrust to find the next job. Uh, A lot of, uh, we would provide a lot back to the community. Today, for any developer who wants feedback on their skills, we give them skills, we give them feedback for free. You can come and solve a GeekTrust coding challenge, we'll give you feedback for free. I see ourselves having a much, much larger, stronger community 10 years from now where developers are helping each other out, they're passing on tricks of the trade, all of that happens on interest. And obviously, you know, companies can tap into this this
1: fantastic pool of tech talent and for their hiring. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you think the mindset is then to, have a, to, to run a successful startup then? Uh, the,
2: uh, just two things, in my opinion, optimism and confidence, right? So when I say two, these two things are the most important, you should have the confidence that, you know, what you're doing works for you. You should be super optimistic about it. Only extremely optimistic people can run su- successful startups but at the same time you should have the humility to understand that you make mistakes you should be critical of yourself and you should be able to change things when required but if you don't have the confidence and the optimism don't even start up where does your optimism come from man? I don't know man that's I guess that's inherently I just think you know things will work out <laughs> like, thing, I guess. <laughs> so is, it, is, this, is this better than corporate life then Oh, by 10X. I mean, I, I love my, I mean, my job at ThoughtWorks was great. I was heading delivery for Bangalore. I worked with fantastic bunch of people. But starting up, like I was saying to somebody else recently, was like I found true love. It was 10X, 100X better than my corporate life. It gave me a sense of purpose for every day. I was just asking somebody who joined us a couple of months ago. I asked him, you know, what has changed for you after joining Trust? He said, when I get up in the morning, I feel like coming to work, Mm -hmm. right? I just enjoy coming to work. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that sense of as human beings, we all want to have some sense of purpose. And that's what starting up gives us. We are closer to that sense of purpose. So we we just love it. We just want to do something that makes a larger impact, right? Who who wouldn't want to do that? Would you ever go back to corporate life? (laughs) not if I can help it
1: so putting on my optimism never (laughs) (laughs) good stuff Uh, last few questions then Um, you're you're a first time founder have you got any advice for other first time founders what should they be focusing on So I I always tell people this, okay,
2: starting up is a really lonely journey, even if you have founders, you know, there are days where you're sitting at home in your pyjamas, it's not about this fancy office, you're sitting at home in your pyjamas with a laptop in your lap, Mm. with a broken Wi Fi connection, and you need to do that day after day, make sure you're mentally prepared for it, make sure your family is supporting you. Mm. If you don't have the support of your immediate friends and family, it's really hard to do this because it's extremely lonely. otherwise. So, and it's, I mean, I don't like this advice of it's now or never, it's not. If now is not the right time, wait for a bit. Make sure that you have the financial runway of, say, at least six months per, for your personal life before you start up, right? Or you want to look for funding, that's a different story, then you can probably do that too. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, make sure you have that
1: support, uh, otherwise it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously you speak to a lot of web developers then, what, what do they actually want, obviously money, um but other than that i mean what specifically do they want is it a challenge or to work for a big company so
2: uh two things i would say people let's take money out of the picture because that is hygiene people definitely want money nobody's changing jobs not for money right so money is there other than that people are definitely looking for interesting work Mm -hmm. and today interesting work is mostly in the data space right people want to data is the is like the web of you know 20 years ago Data will drive a lot of things, artificial intelligence, machine learning stuff, all people are interested in today. And the second thing is people will look at company stability as well. Uh, It's not that uh, people are going to stick in a company for the next 10 years, like I did, or you know, like many, my age did, people are going to move jobs in two to three years. So they're just looking, does this company have the runway to last two to three years? Uh, Will I have interesting colleagues there? of course, will I get paid well. Mm. But yeah, data is the is the keyword here. A lot of people want to work with data. In fact, I've, I just heard this that, you know, a lot of good companies won't even talk to you if you don't,
1: if you're not done some machine learning data science in your hmm. past experiences, yeah. Mm. So obviously web developers or junior web developers, if you don't have the experience, then you can't get a job. If you can't get the job, don't have the experience. It's like a catch-22 situation. So, I, I, I you know,
2: I have people writing to me asking about this and what I tell them is, get any job you can get and be bloody well good at it Mm. right it's whatever the job is even if it's a pretty simple website there is no data nothing to be done you can write code in a manner that you know enhances your craft But, you know, it's not about just getting things done. It's about getting things done right. And the beauty about tech is, you know, there is so much content available. There is so much you can read up and learn on. You can always keep improving. Mm -hmm. So take whichever job you can find, keep learning. And if you keep learning and you write good code, you will just keep progressing in your career. That is guaranteed. And with Mm -hmm. platforms like GeekTrust, nobody will care whether you have passed your 10th standard or not. As as long as you can write good code and showcase it on a GeekTrust, you'll get great jobs. Mm -hmm. And not just GeekTrust, there are other platforms like us as well, but I mean, you know, keep learning, showcase your code, you will land that
1: job. Mm-hmm. Is there any like hot develop uh, hot programming languages at the moment? Or, you know, do you so see I, like, different trends and stuff like that?
2: So what I've seen in the last, uh, when I started up, the first year I started up, uh, you know, hardly anybody used Golan. Mm. Today, most companies, a lot of new companies writing into us, uh, are using some line at least in some of the services and stuff. So like Java, definitely everybody continues to use Java, but the more startups I've talked to, it's it's Python and Goline seems to be the trend that is picking up Ruby on Rails still around, but Python and Goline is definitely key technologies to pick up if you want to be in the startup world.
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent.
2: What's the business model? Um, how, how do you go about making money out of this? So uh, one thing I, I, I had an intuition for upfront is I wanted to stick to a traditional business model mm-hmm. because to break into companies uh, would be harder if my business model was very radical and different mm-hmm. So my business model is exactly the same as all my competitors which is a recruitment consultant mm-hmm. so when somebody is able, a company is able to hire successfully through, through geek trust they pay us our fee so till then get free to use we give you a platform we give you licenses we do code evaluations for free for you. Only when somebody joins you, and you have hired somebody, you've got value, we charge a fee. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: excellent, okay. And last few questions then. Um, Do you have any hobbies and interests? Obviously, you're working on this full time. Yeah, this pretty much uh,
2: eats up all my mind space, but I like, I love to read. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that's pretty much all that. I mean, I would love to see see a lot more movies than I do now. But any superhero movie that comes out, my son and I, we make sure we don't miss it. But otherwise, reading is what keeps me going. Can you recommend any books or blogs to our listeners? So uh, from a startup perspective, uh, one blog I keep going back to, and this helps you understand the basics of stuff, is uh, both sides of the table.com. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty useful for me. Uh, books wise, a lot of inspirational books. Uh, the books I needed the most were books around marketing. Mm-hmm. So I can't recall the name of the author now, but uh, uh, there were some marketing books that I read that were really good. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and one Indian author's book, which I really enjoyed, was The Golden Tap by Kashyap Diora. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a really good sense of what's happening in the Indian tech scene. And you realize that, you know, the Indian tech scene is really about American VCs and Chinese VCs. It's not really about Indian tech scene. Mm-hmm. Like I saw this joke on Twitter yesterday, the startup capital of India is Singapore. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I was pulling on the whole because that's where all these companies are registered. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Kashyap Diora's Golden Tap,
1: I would highly recommend. Uh, it's a really good book to pick up. Oh, uh, what do you what do you think about that? The fact that it's dominated by American and Chinese VCs.
2: Uh, actually, I don't I don't have an opinion. I don't know I don't know what to think. That uh, in the sense that the fundamental problem is that you need India as a market, which has you know potentially a billion people, mm. and the penetration is nowhere close to that today. Like the Chinese market, at least I'm guessing thirty to forty percent, if not fifty percent, penetration has happened. In India, it's probably ten percent, right? If that. So that that 90% exists there, and how do you get to them? And to getting to them, somebody needs that money to reach them, right? Mm-hmm. And if the Indian VCs don't have that money, obviously you're going to look at uh, you know American VCs who have already made that money either in the Bay Area or in in the Chinese market, and they're coming in. So somebody has to put in that money. They have put in the money. That's I don't
1: I don't see anything wrong in that. Hello, Pooja. Thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today.
3: Thank you for having me, Neil. Please tell us what you do. I'm a pastry chef. Um, I own a a brand called Le 15 Patisserie in Mumbai.
1: Excellent. And how did you come up with the idea? Sounds interesting.
3: Uh, How did I come up with the idea? Wow, okay, that's a long one and a short one at the same time. Basically, I have been obsessed with desserts ever since I was a little girl. Um, for a brief moment there, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, that didn't last too long. Two weeks into school, I quit, uh, moved to Switzerland, moved to Paris to go to culinary school, ate my first macaroon, fell in love with it and decided that I wanted to bring the macaroon back to India. So that's how that happened. Excellent. And how things are going? Ah, uh, things are going great i mean it's been uh in march we in the first of march we finished nine years of Le 15 mm-hmm. that's what the, the pastry shop is called we finished nine years so i started when i was 23 and yeah it's been like a roller coaster you know journey it's been this crazy ride where i feel like i, I feel like as if i've just blinked and nine years have just passed
1: mm-hmm. oh, oh, why is it called Le 15 then
3: Yeah, so basically I lived in the 15th arrondissement in Paris, like Paris is divided into 20 different quartiers or arrondissements, and the 15th is where I lived, it's where my school was, it essentially felt like, um, you know, like super French, and for one year that was my home away from home, so I wanted everybody when they walk into any one of our cafes to really feel like they were in the 15th, so that's why.
0: Let's
1: go back to the beginning then. Um, yes. What, I mean, how do you, how did you actually get started? You know, what, what kind of research did you
3: do? I always knew that uh, you know, growing up in in Mumbai, it kind of um, you always saw. I I used to think it, that the funny thing was that you felt like every restaurant or hotel had the same pastry chef because you had the same five pastries everywhere you went, and when I moved. Paris and I kind of saw the you know this world of of pastry where you it's actually like you know close to art Mm -hmm. and uh, all these different kind of things you had macarons you had eclairs you had all these different things that I'd never seen before and even though I lived in Switzerland for four years before that so I kept asking myself that why is it not available in India is it because um, you know the ingredients are not available will people not like it and then when I ate a macaroon I fell in love with it my father loved it and I said my father loves it that means that you know the average Indian customer would love it because my father is so fussy Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah so then I just you know came back and started doing some research and really wanted to bring like a piece of Paris back to Mumbai and see um, how can I create that authentic French patisserie experience but you know where India meets France Mm -hmm. and just I started experimenting for my home kitchen for three months and just saw the response that I was getting, giving it to my friends, family. And then, you know, soon after that, my I think I was working out of my mother's kitchen and she got truly frustrated and wanted to kick me out. And I had to move to a professional space very soon. So, so did you learn everything from scratch then? Yes, everything from scratch. Um, like I said, so I was 23 when I started, so I didn't really have... Uh, I knew what I wanted to do and I did go to a, a hospitality school, which was kind of like we, we had a year of business studies in there. So I knew the basics of like making a business plan and, and how things go, but you know, I don't think anybody can teach you. Uh, I don't think any school can really teach you what running a, a business truly is. Um, I fe- I feel like I was just thrown in the deep end and I just had to figure things out for myself. Um, also starting a, business in India when you are that young and you're a girl is not really the easiest thing. So I had to, it was a bit of a challenge and, you know, it took me some time to kind of actually find my footing. Any specific challenges? Um, How much time do we have? (laughs) Any any, any interesting stories you can share? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is my favorite story to tell. And I think um, I'll just, uh, you know, wrap it up quickly. It's basically, so when I was, you know, when I would go to uh, maybe, you know, rent places or, or, or buy heavy equipment or any of that kind kind of thing, everybody always wanted to know where my husband was or where my <laughs> father was. So that was the first question they would ask me. And there was this one incident where somebody actually came and asked me where my husband is. And I said, uh, um, you know, I don't have one. And he just looked at me and the first question he asked me, is like, why is he off? And I didn't, it took me like a minute to realize he means is he dead and i was like wow you're asking me if if my husband is dead like you know like so i think that it 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 it, you know it just took a little bit of time to get used to even for people to kind of get used to the idea that there's this young girl who's who's running her own business and there's no husband and there's no father to kind of talk to and then they just had to deal with me in terms of
1: pastries is it quite healthy or unhealthy what do you say?
3: I mean so they we we, we started with um, you know truly french pastry mm. so uh, a lot of butter <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. uh,
3: that makes everything better but um currently we do have a menu that we have some healthy things we have a lot of, you know, um, keto is really big in India now. So we have a lot of things on keto menu. We do some sugar-free things. We do, so we customize it based on, on you know, pre- customer preferences. And if they place an order with us, we can do it. But primarily, I mean, we're a dessert brand. So we believe in the indulgence. And, you know, it's like one great bite of, um, you know, something that takes you to another place.
1: In terms of marketing and attracting customers then, uh, who are you trying to attract? Is it, is it families or...?
3: uh so i i think for for us the great thing is that everybody loves sugar (laughs) um (laughs) and so we you know we when i set out like there was no sort of um targeted marketing sort of any kind of thing like that it was just like i'm creating a product that i truly love and believe in and um with food it's so personal and it's so like if, if if it's it's all word of mouth right like if you taste something and you like it you're going to go tell all your friends about it so i never like restrict who I was um, we have someone who's you know five years old who'll enter the cafe and go pick a pink macaroon and then we'll have her grandfather who's walking with her who'll you know get a coffee macaroon so it's it's really open to all age groups Um, you know we do try to get in something for everybody in terms of a flavor profile but I think like um, birthday cakes and celebrations uh, are really big so I don't really worry about who I'm targeting to
1: okay great and baking wise well, like where would you get the ideas from so are you like mixing like western flavors with the eastern flavors then
3: uh, i do some like- of that yeah. Uh, yeah i do some of that so when i moved back one of the big Things was that I wanted to get um, you know French technique and Indian flavors. So we did a we did a whole like of these you know these mixed macros where we had like a masala chai macaron and a green chili one, a paan one. So we do have a collection of things that are inspired uh, flavors are inspired by India and the technique to make them is French. But um, that's a small part of our menu. The other things are all like. You know, uh, you know. i most popular ones are the dark chocolate and the salted caramel and sea salt and really typically French flavors. What What's the best selling one? The best selling one is actually a dark chocolate macaron and a sea salt macaron.
1: And uh, talk talk about the team because obviously you're not doing this on on your own. So um, how, how is the team? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: so I started No 15 with three people. We started mm-hmm. nine years ago with three people. Today we are somewhere around 140 145 of us um we have um, you know uh, we have a different so we work out of a central kitchen uh, so we have the the actual production of the dessert that happens centrally and then it's um shipped and transported to different parts of our of you know our stores that are in different parts of the city so we have a corporate team that that works um, you know in house that we have marketing, we have sales, we have operations, finance, bunch of um, different roles. We have a lot of, uh, 60% of our corporate team is, um, is female. We have uh, you know, uh, it, uh, one of our head chefs at one of our cafes is a friend of mine from culinary school who is half Colombian, half Hungarian and I asked him to come to India three years ago for two months and he's just stayed around and he's uh, <laughs> so he's helping us with so he handles all the savory part of the food i do all the sweet and um so so this operations we you know just used to run in mumbai and i think we're reaching a stage where if we're slowly thinking of expanding to different cities mm-hmm. and kind of figuring out we recently launched uh, an e-commerce business where we okay. actually supply our macaroons to 12 different cities in india so you can just go online and buy them so the team for that is separate so yeah it's um it's, definitely not a singular effort there's you know uh, nuts and bolts and everyone keeping this machine moving and uh, yeah, i wouldn't be able to do it without them
1: and what's your management style like and then how's it changed over the nine years
3: uh, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, when I started, I think it was just, I um, I think it's taken me a lot of time to kind of understand what kind of person I am and what kind of leader I am. When I started, I was just so young and I was so eager to kind of make sure that um, everybody likes me, that I always kind of, um, I don't know, I, I was just kind of finding myself. Uh, it's only in the last couple of years that I've, you know, come to terms of, as a person, as an, as an employer, like I've just kind of understood, um, what makes me take how I deal with people. So I think my style is pretty, it's pretty laid back, but at the same time um you know work needs to get done i'm pretty goal driven and uh you know out I, I go really by like outcomes and and really like to i like to give people freedom to work as long as mm-hmm. i i know there's like constant uh, um you know there's like a feedback loop of like what is going on i just i don't need to like be in your business every day but um just update me on what's happening and if you're reaching your goals and targets and then we're all good
1: you mentioned goals and targets. So, 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 are you motivated by money then?
3: I would say yes. I would really. Uh, I mean, at, at this stage in my career, I would really. Um, you know, I think it's it's taken me a while to kind of uh, understand. Uh, you know, because I started this out of pure passion, right? Mm-hmm. I started it uh, out of my house and then moved to the kitchen, and we've grown so much, and last nine years and money was never really the driving force and I kind of um, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes or if if I had to kind of look back and 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 give someone advice on when they start their business I think that especially for for women and I think women in India I think taking charge of your finances and and realizing that you're doing this it's a business at the end of the day and you're doing this to make money and um, uh, you know passion is obviously what drives it but Um, If you're not making money, you know, nothing can function properly. So, um, yes, I would say that currently my biggest motivator is, uh, you know, running a profitable business and uh, truly understanding, you know, the finances of it, which I, to be very honest, I didn't do for the last, I didn't do for the first seven years until I was not forced to and uh, really like life kind of pushes you in a, a situation where you have to take charge and that's what happened to me.
1: Yeah, a lot of businesses do fail, but yours is still going. Uh, yeah. i was curious to know what, what mistakes do you see in other businesses?
3: I mean, I don't know. I can list a lot of mistakes that I make. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, um, I think that it's, it's, it's so subjective. It really depends on what kind of business and, and you know, where they are at, what their business goals are, how the team is, what... I think the biggest mistake that uh, most people make is that they don't really account for, um, you know, all the people problems that you face. Um, I think that uh, even in terms of, of, of like training, in terms of revenue, in terms of everything, it's, it's uh, HR is I think not, uh, people don't give it as much of an importance while planning. Um, that's one of the mistakes that I did also made when I first, you know, made my business plan I didn't really account for those exact number of salaries, which kind of was difficult later. Um, so I think that really focusing on HR, truly understanding um, what you know your business stands for, who it's targeting, what um, you know, and also be open to change, right? Because I feel like the biggest companies that fail don't see. Don't see change coming, like like for example, like Kodak, right? Um, one of those examples where everything was going digital, and um, you know, it's like it's 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 like this big red flag in front of you, and you don't see it. So I think for us as well, like the, the health question you asked was so important, also because that's a big change in the world where everyone is moving towards healthier desserts and options. So if I was just to be blind to that and say I don't do that at all, that would be a mistake.
1: Looking back on the journey, would you change anything?
3: I I mean, you know, I, I definitely do think that I, um, I'm the kind of person who likes to look at mistakes and see them as lessons and look at them and say that, okay, I, you know. I, and today I look at the, the mistakes and say that I've learned all these lessons, maybe some the hard way. Uh, I think what I would definitely change is um, – have a, a stronger control on um, the finances and definitely not be as trusting
1: cool and you mentioned uh, Paris uh, what, what was the key learning or key takeaway from your time in Paris which means sounded oh, exciting
3: uh, oh, wow yeah I mean Paris was just incredible I was 21 years old I was living there were you know working in a chocolate shop I think it was uh, the greatest year of my life um, I think that what I really love about the French is how they just enjoy simple things right like everything is a, a celebration a meal you never see a person really walking and drinking coffee or eating in Paris uh, food is really celebrated you have to sit down whether it's a picnic or at table um, you know uh, you enjoy your meals uh, you know everything is really ingredient driven I think that for me that was a really big change to really slow things down and just um, pause and enjoy your food experiences. I think that was my biggest takeaway from my time in Paris.
1: And did you speak the language as well?
3: Uh, so, I I actually, um, I think after a few glasses of wine, I'm extremely fluent. <laughs> um, I, I could understand everything. Uh, my biggest problem was I would be a bit shy when I was speaking it. So, I do this thing every year where I set out one uh, super challenge for myself that I think is uh, a bit unattainable. And uh, so it, it could be silly things like personal or professional. Like, so one year I wanted to run the half marathon or one year I wanted to dance on stage, you know, things like that. So two years ago I got a phone call from a French company that had Uh, that had a you know they wanted me to come and speak to an audience of five thousand people in bordeaux Mm. and they were like you know we'd love for you it's like small business owners we'd love for you to come tell us your story and you know i just heard like free trip to france yes (laughs) and i and i just committed to doing it and then a week later they called me and told me "Um, i hope you realize the talk is in french So, so i took it up as a challenge and i had a year to do it so i went all in I, that's actually how I started listening to podcasts as I started learning French and you know um, and then yeah so I went to Bordeaux in September 2017 and then I spoke French in front of 5,000 people
1: yeah so any of, advice to our listeners then who are thinking doing
3: some public speaking drink wine before you go on stage (laughs) (laughs) but just enough not too much (laughs) no I think I think what's what's truly important is is just to you know it is really I had you know the biggest butterflies I was questioning myself and I was just asking myself like why have I agreed to do this but the minute I went on stage and I kind of you know the, the feeling that you get soon after and i think that what people want is just to see a, an authentic story so even if you and your your it's about you most of the time it's about you, you, you talking about your story so i don't think that um you know you should be nervous or scared or anything because as long as you're true and authentic you'll connect with the audience and then everything will be fine cool
1: well, last few questions then um yes. do you have any like do you have any like heroes that inspire you
3: um, the person I admire the most and I want to be when I grow up is Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Um, I am a super big fan. I've dedicated my last cookbook to her. I just grew up watching her. And I think that she was, you know, a role model that... Um, I think as as young girls, you don't really have too many role models that are not like celebrity actors. So I think that um, she was one for me. Um, I also really... I have some chefs that I look up to and admire and kind of whether it's, um, you know, David Chang in the US or it's Jamie Oliver or Nigella Lawson, just to see what they're doing with, you know, food and actually not just being chefs, but also, you know, some sort of uh, responsibility with culture and sustainability.
1: It, it, it seems like chefs the new like superstars now, like celebrity chefs. As, as they, well, I, I, I consider you as a celebrity chef, so what's it like to a celebrity chef up there with the Olivers and the, the David Changs?
3: Um, I don't know. I think that, you know, that's my... um. Uh, that's actually the reason I I started a podcast last year called No Sugar Code, and I think that the reason I started it was that because everybody just looks at this from the outside and kind of says that oh this world is so glamorous and hmm. you just have to kind of wake up and be beautiful and and you know and I'm just like no I work 16 hours a day I'm exhausted. <laughs> Most of the time, you know, I don't understand this glamour part of it. The glamour is probably like twenty minutes of a week that you show up somewhere, but other than that, you know, it's like you're in your in your chef whites in the kitchen, just doing the hard work. So it's not, I you know, I don't really relate to it. Um, and um, but at the same time, I just what I really enjoy or what I like and I'm grateful for is that when I started my career ten years ago, you know, being a chef or being a female chef wasn't really um, a, an appropriate sort of career choice in India and 10 years later you have so many young girls who come and tell me that you know we're going to college school thanks to you and I think that if that is the you know the impact that that the the, the status of celebrity has then I think that that's great because if, it, if you, it lets young girls go out and do what they want and, and find a career of passion
1: Last few questions then What, what what's your favourite food then?
3: oh my favorite food i think that everything to do anything to do with cho- dark chocolate is uh, if i had to eat one thing for the rest of my life it's probably be dark chocolate um and then at home you know i just basically i i really like simple home-cooked indian food um and just i like really clean simple flavors nothing too complicated nothing too spicy i can't handle spice and chilies at all
1: least least favorite food
3: Least favorite um, are these Indian vegetables that I just really can't stand. <laughs> some of them. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and and do, you, do you have any books or blogs you recommend to our listeners?
3: Um, some books. I think one of my um, favorite books, go to books, is uh, Shoe Dog. That's the story of Phil Knight and Nike. Um, yeah. I love that one. I love, um, there's an Indian author called Subruthu Bakchi. And he has a book on entrepreneurship that truly helped me when I was, you know, uh, in my early twenties trying to write a business plan. So that's a great one. Um, podcasts, I love um, Tim Ferriss. I mm-hmm. truly love Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. How I Built This, by uh, you know, is it, is you know, I, I love listening to stories of how businesses were built. So those are my picks.
1: Brilliant. Okay, last question: If someone wants more information on you and the fifteen. Um, how do they yeah. get in touch?
3: Uh, so you can go onto our website, which is low 15com or follow me on social media, which is at on Instagram, which is at Pooja Dindra on Instagram and Twitter. And low 15 is at love15india on uh, Instagram and Twitter.
1: Brilliant. Actually, one last question. In terms of branding, that must play a, a big part.
3: It does. Do you, have, yes. do you have
1: like a strategy for that, for our listeners?
3: Um, so I think that when I started the, you know, the the strategy was just basically creating um, a product that or even you know, whether it was packaging or anything else it was about being clean fresh new um, no one was making colorful cake boxes everyone was doing the little you know boring old brown boxes so I think it was just about um, a little bit of my personality that kind of came onto every little thing that we did and it was just about having fun and being a little bit sassy so I think authenticity is it works and people really connect with that
1: and that's the end of the show. And if you liked it, please leave a rating or review of the show. Just search for the India's Type Show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Acast, Luminary, Castbox, and Apple TV. And if you're building something exciting, please send me an email, hello at www.dopletail.co, or tweet at www.indianstypesh, or go to facebook.com forward slash show Thank you and goodbye.